Well, today we conclude a series, Shiny Objects, as Chad uh, said to us. And, um, you know, as I thought about this, we really are bombarded. I feel like almost every second of the day with shiny objects, whether it's coming in the form of our phones, but it's our time, it's, it's all that is competing for our attention, our eyes, our ears, our minds, our hearts, our finances. Uh, it, it consumes us, and sometimes even it can get out of control, right? Sometimes those influences can overtake us, and we end up investing more than what we ever attended. It, it, and I feel like it's the story of two young fish that are swimming down to, in the river. Uh, and an older fish swims by and says, how's the water, boys? And the two fish keep swimming. In a little while, one of those younger fish looks at the other one, and I'll keep it in the G version he says, what the heck is water? <laughs> I feel with this sermon series, this is what it's, it's like. Our, we swim in the waters of our world and culture. And in the western suburbs where we have been blessed, I think unusually, many of us, the, the rest of the world, and certainly the rest of even America, doesn't quite live the way we do. <clears throat> we are swimming in waters of a lot of shiny objects. And today, I want to take us to really what I think is the heart of not just this series, but it's the heart of even our own faith journey. I read a book um, a couple uh, last month called Plastic Donuts, and it shared, it opened with a story that I said, I've lived that story before. And so I'd like to share my version of what I experienced. It was about 14 years ago, and uh, my marriage had a very challenging time. In fact, if you had asked me then, I'd probably say, I don't think my marriage is going to make it. It's over. It was Christmas Eve. We had been at church uh, for quite a while. As a pastor of a church on Christmas Eve, there's lots of services. We went to dinner with some friends. We finally got home, opened some new PJs, and it, I felt like I think it was at midnight the kids went to bed. They were two and four, and then it happened. So Ann and I partnered together in building a deluxe plastic toy kitchen similar to this. <clears throat> and it was one of the worst experiences of my life. <laughs> and she, and when she tells it, or at least I was reminded often that, you know what, I need to be more patient and affirming. That's what I was told. And I've got a reaction to that, but you know what, I'm just going to like keep it right there. But let me tell you, this toy kitchen that we built brought me as a father so much joy. Because here's what would happen with my two little kids. They'd be over and they're playing around and then one of them would walk over and they would say, Daddy, could I give you a, some pizza? And they would hold it out and I would take it and then they would just like stand there smiling, just like waiting, right? And I'm like, nom, 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 nom. like I'm eating it up. And I'm like, this pizza's so good. Did you make this? Wow. Can I have some more? They're like, yeah, and they'd bring another piece over, and I'm, I'm eating it up, and I'm like, would you like some? And then their eyes light up. Yes, and then they would take it, and they're eating it. And then they would like, Dad, would you like, would you like something more? And I'm like, I would love something more. They, How about dessert? I'm like, okay. So then they go back over to the kitchen, and they're mixing stuff up, and they come over, and they go, here you go, Daddy. And I take it, I'm like, what is it? What, what's for dessert? And I think one of them one time said, Soup. I'm like, oh, yay, and I'm drinking it, I'm, I'm like, oh, 
Is there broccoli in this soup? You know, and they would laugh and giggle, and I'm like, would you like some soup? But I can tell you through those interactions, how many of you have had similar interactions with kids? Or sometimes it's exchanging stuffed animals or blocks. But when they bring that gift, it is nothing but pure love and joy. They're bringing their daddy something, and they just, it's with all of their heart. And then they love to receive back, and we go back and forth, this giving and receiving over and over again. It just hits you right there. It's me right there. Hold on to that image, because it's going to serve as really our analogy for how we end this series. Dallas Willard was uh, an accomplished and amazing philosopher, um, writer, influencer in the lives of Christians and churches and organizations, really all around the world. And he wrote a a book called Renovation of the Heart. It's one of my favorite books that Dallas wrote. Dallas is a friend of Christ Church. He's passed away, but he has been here years past and has been been with our staff. um, But Dallas wrote, um, he he was talking about uh, the the process, what what it means to be spiritually formed, spiritual formation. And as Chad says, that's, that's another one of those church words. Spiritual formation simply means how do we grow as Christians? Right? God loves us too much to keep us the same. We know when God comes into our life, he's going to grow us. He's going to move us forward. We, we, um, we continue to become something new. Right? And so this is how Dallas defines spiritual formation. He says it's the process, or as we say at Christ Church, the intentional journey by which one moves and is moved from self-worship, self at the center, to a Christ-centered, surrendered life seeking to do his will. Our whole journey as Christians is to take ourself out of the center, to put God in the center, and as we do that more and more, we see our life changing. Not just the, sometimes we think of our spiritual life or our Christian life as this component or a part of us, it's all of us. God didn't create all these compartments, he's created life. And he says, I want you to do it with me and I want, me, and, and, and I want to be at the center. Um, Dallas equates that center to the heart. And I'd like to read you just a couple things that Dallas wrote because it'll serve as kind of part two of what I want you to hold on to. Dallas says, the heart is precisely what God observes and addresses in human beings. He cares little or nothing for outward show, prayer, gifts, sacrifices, services. He responds to the heart because it is above all, get this, who we are who we choose and have chosen to be. What God wants from us can only come from there. God is sensitive even to the slightest move of the heart toward him or away from him. Those are some pretty deep words. He would go on to write, he says, in fact, God is constantly looking for people who will worship him with all of their heart, with him at the center. What does that mean? It means people who have, who have free-hearted and wholehearted admiration, respect, and commitment to God as the highest being of all, Lord of their lives. And then I love this. He says, those kinds of people, they never try to conceal or hold back anything from him and always rely on him. God is actively seeking such people wherever they may be. That's a compelling picture of the heart. That's a compelling picture of what it means to live a life as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian. 
reminds me of kids that are taking plastic food. And you know how kids act. I mean, they fight, kick, punch in the face as Daniel's boys do. Uh, when you try to take their toys, they're pretty protective. But, but when they bring that to you, they hold nothing back because they're bringing it from their heart. Jesus told a story of a rich man, a different rich man than what Daniel just sang about. But let me share with you um, this story. Because I thought I always knew kind of what this story meant until the last line of this story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 12 hit me in a brand new way. And it reframed this whole uh, parable, this story for me. Let me read it to you. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. If you were here last week and heard Dan's message, that's probably a good thing. God provides seed and he expects us to steward that, to invest that seed, that we are part of our labor and faithfulness is to, uh, to, 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 to grow things, to, to increase things, right? That, that's part of, I think, what God has put in us. And so this man apparently did it well. He had an amazing crop. <clears throat> and he said to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. In other words, my excess, my abundance. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Who will get what you have prepared for who? yourself. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, and here's the line, but are not rich toward God. Who are not rich toward God. This is a story about the heart, and I never caught that before. I was always kind of downplaying this rich guy who had all that stuff, and he had no cares in the world, and, and you know, but, and I just missed, missed that God was this is a story about the heart. And if you read the Gospels, if you read uh, the New Testament especially, uh, you will see that God is after the heart all the time. Jesus is talking about it all the time. So many of the parables are pointing to that. So let me ask you a few questions in the spirit of Captain Obvious. He's one of my favorite, uh, I guess, shiny object characters on TV. So I'll be Captain Obvious. What was the focus of this man, himself or God? Good, himself. Downers Grove, you, people on live stream, you can participate too. It's okay. Uh, was it wrong to have an abundance? No, no. So what was the sin or the miss in this man's life? Why was he a fool? Yeah, he wasn't rich towards God. He was focused on himself. You probably never thought about this. I, I didn't. But um, Chad talked about, or we've talked about this morning, the, the tithe. Um, there is a good chance this man tithed off of that abundance. It was so ingrained in first century Judaism, it was just a practice of everyone that they would bring their tithes and offerings to the temple. And more than likely, this man, out of this increase, probably would have given the tenth. If you brought a, a full tenth of your income for the whole year, you know, to the church, you would, 
probably, you know, you wouldn't do this in front of anybody, but you might pat yourself on the back and say, wow, that was, that's a huge gift. I can't believe I did that. Uh, or maybe you went a little beyond that. So let's just say, the text doesn't say this, but for the sake of playing this out, let's say this guy actually tithed his increase, that abundance, and God calls him a fool. Does that seem off kilter to you? Because he did what he was commanded, told, uh, what, what the, his religious identity would have told him to do, he did that. For me, that always bothered me a little bit. It didn't line up until I understood that, you know what, it's not so much about the gift as the heart that brings the gift. The heart reveals the value of the gift. I want you to hold on to that story as well because, you know, I don't know that we often realize or acknowledge that we really do, we live our lives from the overflow of our heart. <clears throat> Jesus says a tree is known by its fruit. And every day, you make choices in how you invest your time, how you invest your money, your influence, how you handle relationships. These are all the seed that God has given you. Uh, and every day we choose, and, and there's, that is, are those choices and how we live, that's the fruit of our lives, and it comes from whatever's at the center. And that's really what I want us to consider and wrestle with today. In that book, Plastic Donuts, the author talks about what makes a gift acceptable to God. When I read that line, my ears perked up because I'm like, wow, that seems to matter. I'd want to know, is my gift acceptable? We, we took up an offering just a few minutes ago. Were your gifts acceptable to God? Would you want to know? <laughs> Some are like, Duh, I don't know. Oh, shoot, there's that call. I need to go take it. No, hang, hang with me. Hang with me. Uh, before we answer that question, I want to talk about this word acceptable. Because in the Bible, it means something a little different than maybe how we define it today. Uh, acceptable, uh, how we talk about it, often pertains to things like um, the minimum. Barely enough. Uh, just getting by. Uh, you just come to my house any week. And when it comes to, uh, we tell the kids, hey, you need to clean your room or clean the kitchen, you will learn what acceptable is. Because I think one of them just a couple weeks ago did whatever chore they were supposed to do, and they said, is this acceptable? <laughs> and I bailed, you know, because I could feel my blood pressure going. But Sue Ann did not bail. She made sure they, they understood what acceptable means, maybe in a little deeper way. Um, <clears throat> but acceptable in the Bible, it carries uh, meaning more like Delightful, surprising, perfect, tearfully proud, um, ecstatic happiness. Like that child bringing that pizza or broccoli soup for dessert. Like that is an acceptable gift because it's coming from love and it's coming from their heart. It's coming from the overflow of what is in them. And so with that in mind, this is what... Um, at least the author, as he was writing this, says, this is what makes up an acceptable gift to God. The first thing is that the amount of the gift matters, and we determine the amount. The amount of the gift matters, and we determine the amount. And again, hang with me on this, because I don't want you to say, there goes the preacher again, talking about money in church. <clears throat> hang with me. Because we're talking about all of life, time, our talents, treasures, influence, all of it. But I do want to touch on our finances. Because the reality is we have amounts all over the place in our life that we pay great attention to. Mortgages, car payments, vacation budgets, uh, 
travel sports, music stuff with kids. I mean, on and on and on and on. Uh, we have amounts that we pay great attention to. Retirement. Some of these amounts we are extremely intentional with and they carry great priority in our life. Agreed? Is that bad? No. No, it's part of stewarding our life. The question, though, the question of the heart is how does God factor in to your priorities? How does God factor into the amounts that you are investing in all of these areas of life? Or do you find yourself, catch yourself kind of with that challenge like, ooh, I don't know that maybe God has been. I mean, I believe in God, I love God, but, but maybe it's not, it's not being as intentionally invested into as other things in our life. Now, I know that feels like I'm hitting a little below the belt, but here's the deal. Uh, as a pastor, if I know that God is looking at the heart and he wants his people to live from the overflow with him being at the center, and I, we don't talk about these things, and I don't take you to really examine your heart, which Scripture talks about all over, then I fail you as a pastor. We, we fail as a church. We fail each other when we're not spurring each other on to say, how's your heart? Are you at the center or is God at the center? You know, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We need to think about it. Think about those amounts in your life. Maybe this week, think about what are all of those amounts? And you know what, if I, if I, is my love relationship with God, is it prioritized in these amounts? And if you're stretched and if you're challenged by that, I say good. Because <laughs> that's where spiritual formation and growth is happening. Where we find those rubs, if we lean into it, right, and we say, God, help me grow. And whatever that is and how I'm investing my time or my resources or, you know, how I'm handling this relationship, whatever that is, God is going to move your heart and he's going to be more and more at the center. And that's a good thing. The second part of that kind of first point is that you determine the amount. And so let me maybe put this in an illustration. Have, have you ever given a gift to someone that you are just so excited like you just couldn't wait. Maybe it was a birthday gift, an anniversary gift, graduation. I don't know what it was. But, but you were so excited to give the gift. And, and if anything, you, you were disappointed. You wanted to give more. Have you, have you ever given a gift like that? You were just so excited to give a gift to someone else. Um, the flip side would be if, I don't know, say, say you had an anniversary coming up. And say it's your 22nd anniversary. And it's happening in just a few months, and maybe the hint has been dropped, you know, you better bring a good gift to this anniversary. This is all hypothetical, of course. <clears throat> Perhaps that person in this hypothetical situation hasn't always delivered well on, on gifts. I don't know. So say this person says, okay, 22 years, that, that is definitely worth something. Uh, I really want to bring a good gift, but, you know, I got that amazing fly fishing rod and so finances I, I don't want to stretch us too far um, you know my wife she, she's been a pretty good wife that's got to count for a little bit and then you know she's been she's done a decent job with the kids like that that adds a little more uh, easy easy <laughs> and uh and so I, I i this person adds this up in their head and they say you know I think $45 would be about the right budget amount to bring a good 20 second. 50? What do you, no? 
No, you would never give a gift like that. You would never. Well, if, well maybe if you do, like, come, we'll pray together or go to the prayer area afterwards. We'll pray about that. But that's not how you give a gift of love to someone that's just that important to you. Like, your heart wells up and you just can't wait to bring whatever that gift is. There's thought and intention and meaning. And you come and you want to present it and almost just kind of smile with your hands behind your back like that little child because you're just so excited to share it. You determine what that is. We have amounts in our life and we need to determine what that amount is that we're investing our lives into God's kingdom. And it all flows from what's at the center. The second kind of thing that goes into what makes a gift acceptable is, is giving from your ability. Whatever that ability or those abilities may be. You know, if, if my daughter Sadie brought me this piece of pizza at four years old and was so excited and I received it and I was like, plastic, really? I mean, I'd love a deep dish with everything and cook it a little longer. I like my crust a little more crispy and handed it back to her. No, she doesn't have the ability to do that. I mean, this is a perfect gift because she brought it out of her own heart. Um, we see this all over in the teachings of Jesus. The people, they, Jesus was watching people put their tithes and offerings in at the temple and, and people were dropping bags of money and silver and gold. Some of it maybe a few hundred dollars. Some of them could have been hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, and then this poor widow puts in two pennies. You remember what Jesus does? He calls his disciples together. He goes, did you just see that? She has put in more than all the rest. Really? Two pennies versus a couple hundred thousand dollars? What's the difference? The heart. And Jesus wasn't maybe putting others down. I, probably a lot of those people were giving whatever out of their ability uh, from their heart. But Jesus just happened to notice that even a couple pennies could be the best gift that you could give. Jesus tells the story of the, the parable of the, the talents. Remember, the master's going to go away and he gives uh, his servants different talents. A talent was a huge sum of money. And so one he gives five talents, another two, and another one. And they, they, they go to work and, and, and two of them double it. The one that has five gains five more. That's ten, two, two more. That's four. Uh, the, the one that received one didn't do anything. He buried it. You know what I thought that, you know, I don't think that master giving the guy that had one talent was expecting for him to bring ten back. His ability lied within that one talent or the person that had two talents. And they were just faithful to bring back, to steward that according to their ability. Zacchaeus, the wee little man, wee little man was he. Uh, you know, he was a tax collector, so he made a living kind of ripping people off. We have different names for professions like that today. Um, but you know, something shifted in his heart. And I don't know if you remember this story. Jesus never said, here's what you should give or here's what I want you to do. When God moved into the center of Zacchaeus' life, when he, when he took himself out of the focus, he said, Jesus, here and now, I'm going to give half, not a tenth. Because I'm going to give 50% of all of I own to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone, I'm going to pay them back four times the amount. That, that's a heart move, right? He wasn't told or demanded or 
You know, that wasn't the instruction. That was just his, how his heart moved in a generous way. Cain and Abel brought two different gifts, one meat, one grain. One was accepted, one wasn't. Both gave out of their ability what they had access to, but one had a, they had two different kinds of hearts. And the one that had a better heart and one that heart that was more aligned with God, that gift was accepted. And we can look at a lot of other examples. But I want you to hear in this, giving according to your ability means that we have great freedom in our giving because it's going to come from the heart. But what it says is that we all, have the op- we all have the ability to give something. God is looking for people who aren't going to hold back, right, but that are going to come to him like a little child saying, here's my gift with joy and love and excitement. Are we prioritizing and investing what we have been given as just a, a heart priority in our life? The third point that makes a, a gift acceptable, and it's really what we've been talking about the whole time, the author says the heart makes the gift. I think you get this by now, right? The heart makes the gift. <clears throat> Jesus said, love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. All that we are. In other words, from the center. Because whatever's at the center impacts everything. Everything. All that we say. All that we do. All that we give. And so maybe as we close, maybe we just have to ask ourselves some questions or, or maybe just offer up some prayers. And they could be different prayers. For each of us, maybe your prayer is, Lord, do I need a renovation of my heart? And if so, Lord, would you help me do that? I'm going to take a step. It's not going to be easy. Right? Maybe, Lord, maybe, maybe I need to, maybe I am at the center. Even though I've tried to do good things, I, I know deep down it's probably a little more focused on me. Lord, help me, help me to be a good steward of my life. Help me to um, put you at the center. And as you surrender a little bit by little bit, you find God filling up and bringing life beyond what you can imagine. But you will only learn it if you allow God to be at the center. Or maybe it's, Lord, help me orient my life so that all that I say, all that I do, all that I am, all that I give, all that I steward would reflect your heart. Or maybe it's, Lord, I want to be found as a fully devoted follower of yours. Lord, that's my heart's desire. Grow me in that way. I'd like to close with just some snapshots of what we've already said because I think they say it better than I could say it myself as we come to the close of this series. Daddy, would you like some pizza? Spiritual formation is the journey by which one moves and it is moved from the self at the center to a Christ-centered, devoted life. The heart is precisely what God observes and addresses in human beings. He responds to the heart because it is, above all, who we are, who we choose and have chosen to be. Friends, may it be said of us that in our hearts we were rich towards God. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. 
We thank you that you are a father that sits next to us with our plastic kitchens and just waits. He loves to, you love to see us come to you with things that can seemingly be as insignificant as a plastic piece of pizza or a plastic donut. But God, you light up when our hearts come to you and we give to you out of love. God, we just pray that each one within the sound of this voice would just examine their heart. God, that they would just be open to you, that they would feel and sense your grace, and that, God, they would just begin making more shifts wherever each of us are, and God, myself included, that we will just move ourselves out of the center so that, God, you can fill up that place. And, God, what an amazing life. We know we will have this abundant life because it will flow from you. God, hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.